Welcome to the Changelog episode 0.4.6. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new and open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. Head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some training repos, some feature repos from the blog, as well as the audio podcasts. If you're on Twitter, follow Changelog Show, Changelog Jobs, and me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. This week's episode is sponsored by GitHub Jobs. If you want us to feature your jobs on the show, head to changelog.com slash jobs. Select advertise on the changelog when posting your job, and we'll take care of the rest. Drumbeat's looking for a front-end web developer. If you rock the HTML5, the CSS3, jQuery, you want to work with Mozilla at drumbeat.org, head to lg.gd slash 5v. And the good folks over at Remember the Milk need JavaScript pros, Scala engineers, and sysadmins. Check out lg.gd slash 5z. 5D, and 5L. Levion's looking for a UI designer with programming experience. Experience needed with Rescue, Delayed Job, XMPP, Blather, Windows API Knowledge, even Objective-C. If this sounds like your sort of gig, check out lg.gd slash 5x because it's five times the size of ordinary gigs. That's right. Fun episode this week. Talked to the guys over at Yahoo about the YUI library. Node.js came up again, so we kept that streak alive, I think. There you go. Find out what happens when you commit bad JavaScript when uh, Douglas Crockford's on staff at your team. Yeah, they seem kind of scurry about that one. They run you through the JS lint. They sure do. (laughs) Fun episode this week. Should we get to it? Let's do it. We're chatting today with the YUI team from Yahoo. So why don't you introduce yourself, guys, and a little bit about what you do with the project. Well, my name is Adam Moore. I uh, have been with the project since the beginning. I work uh, on the core part of the library, the, uh, the YUI global object and the loading system and the uh, custom event system. My name is Satyan Desai. Um, I've been with YUI for about four years now. Um, and on the YUI3 side of things, I, I work with the component infrastructure, um, so things like the attribute subsystem, uh, the widget infrastructure, plugins, that kind of thing. For the uninitiated, why don't you give the elevator pitch on YUI and a little bit about what this rather large framework does? Yeah, so um, let, let me jump in. Um, YUI is, is your JavaScript uh, platform library. Um, we have, you know, the, the classical browser normalization layer, um, the ability to include script on the page, the ability to normalize DOM interaction and uh, DOM event interaction. Um, But then on top of that, we have kind of pretty robust app development pieces, um, you know, generic utilities which help with internationalization, data access, uh, remote data retrieval, uh, and then uh, on top of that layer, we kind of have the typical widget subsystem uh, with a set of -of out-of-the-box widgets for browser-based web development. And now we're kind of branching into um, other environments such as the server um, and mobile-based devices. So Adam, you said you've been with the project since the beginning. How long ago was that? And what's also new in version 3.3? Okay. uh, Well, I uh, I started here in May in 2005. That's when we first started the project for Yahoo. Um, When we first did it, we were, we were, we were, uh, tasked to build this library for Yahoo. Um, there was no talk at the time of open sourcing it. It was, it was uh, in February 2006, I believe, that we actually uh, released um, YUI 2.0, uh, we called it, because the first version was 
internal to Yahoo only. And uh, but that one was the first open source effort. Um, or uh, yeah. So since then, obviously lots happened. Um, YUI three was uh, was uh, a complete rewrite of the library and uh, and, and many levels. Um, we launched that in two thousand nine, and uh, it it has a whole new sort of architecture for uh, being a little more r- robust on the page and co- uh, cooperating with other. Um, protecting your code from foreign code that might be um, uh, on the page as well, and a more uh, sophisticated uh, infrastructure for uh, dynamic loading and custom events. And um, I'll let uh, Satyan talk to about 3.3.0, which was just released last week. Yeah, um, so with 3.3.0, um, I think the release was mainly centered around filling out some of our core widgets. Um, so we're trying to get kind of parity in terms of porting over the YUI 2 widgets to the YUI 3 world. And uh, 3.3.0 kind of had the autocomplete control, um, which is a big control on the YUI 2 side of things. And that was kind of completely redesigned, refactored for YUI 3, um, leveraging a lot of the kind of sub-modularization pieces um, in YUI 3. We had the initial data table drop which is your basic uh, data grid, data table infrastructure. Uh, we had a new dial component, which is rather cool. Um, it's, it's an alternate approach to slider-based type interactions uh, to select values between a range. Um, and then we had our charts component, um, and we went from a flash-based component in YUI 2 to a JS-based component in uh, YUI 3. Additionally, we had um, the community kind of contribute um, resize or, or your typical draggable resize utility uh, to the stack. So I think those were the major highlights of 3.3, uh, if I'm not missing anything. So this this project started back in 2006, and it's called YUI, and it's an acronym, so it's kind of easy to, I guess, forget that it's Yahoo User Interface Library. What was the, the core cause for Yahoo even starting this project in the first place? There was a there, So in 2005, when we first started this, uh, uh, there, there wasn't actually a lot of... Uh, um, toolkits that do all the core sort of browser normalization and additional utility layers that we needed at Yahoo. People were writing things, and uh, you ended up with a lot of different uh, implementations of the same thing uh, of various quality. And so the idea was that this is you know now that we know we need all this stuff that uh, we really needed to build something that uh, that would be common across the com- company. Um, at, you know, it's, at the time, there was uh, not very many open source projects uh, for doing this. I think Dojo was around, um, and maybe Prototype. jQuery hadn't been out yet, and at the t- so we evaluated. I guess before I got hired, they evaluated what was out there and decided they wanted to do um, a new library. And so I was hired, and the first utilities were um, we needed drag and drop and we needed a, a tree control and we needed animation and uh, and out of that uh, uh, the event system was born and and it just ballooned out from there kind of just grew organically so in terms of growing organically uh, Yahoo is a pretty large organization what's the adoption rate across the, the various different uh, properties you guys manage well I don't I don't know that there's any property that doesn't use YUI anymore 
Um, it, at first, we did have to sell it. I mean, we had to build something good and, and then teach people how to use it and um, and sell it to them, if, if, essentially. Now it's uh, now it's sort of a standard platform for all. Any new product comes out of Yahoo is going to be running on YUI. So as a as a large organization, what has this done for you in terms of teaching new developers and bringing on a, a good team and then ultimately leading to faster releases of product? Well, I, I guess uh, I'm not the best person to answer that just because I'm not actually shipping those products, right? I'm, I'm building this library and uh, we, we see it as being a great success uh, for, for properties being able to do, um, to do more with less resources. We've certainly seen the, um, the sort of uh, front-end engineering culture at Yahoo um, um, mature and you know we think it's gotten better and we think we've helped towards that um but you'd have to ask i mean you know maybe somebody at a big property like uh, the yahoo front page or mail or Flickr, um what how much they think it's really helped them i i think you'd get um, pretty positive res- uh, feedback from them what has putting your source up on github done for community contributions um i think um it it I think it was at the time at which we did it, it was long overdue. Um, so, you know, we were an open source product. We were open source in terms of sharing what we built with the external world. And just the very nature of a platform uh, product, um, having, you know, six or eight people work on platform solutions for, you know, an entire um, community uh, really doesn't scale. So allowing people to look at the source code in progress, contribute to it, and um, give us code back into the library, I think, was, was a massive win. And then just exposing um, the, the source that way, I think, drove more community involvement in general in terms of driving roadmaps and, and uh, use case analysis for different features as they came on board. They could pick up components earlier in the release cycle, give us use case feedback on them, which we could roll back into the final release of the product. So um, I think it was, it was something we, we, were, we intended to do for a while. Um, just took us a while to get the infrastructure together, and I think uh, the value is, is evident after that. Yeah. Were you guys using Git before that, or was it a, a mirroring um, process just to get the code up on GitHub? Yeah, so the, we actually do use Git locally here. We have a sort of a source of truth um, uh, Git server here that we push out to um, the GitHub, um, which uh, we do that for uh, for control of our build process. So people submit stuff and and uh, and we sort of um, we uh, we get it into our system so that we can verify it and, and then. Um, build it, do all the post-build things, and then shoot it off right back to to uh, GitHub. We set by the time we uh, released code on GitHub, we had already like our initial thoughts were that we we're going to have a Git server ourselves. But then, um, but then when we saw GitHub and all the great things it it did, we before we ever uh, hosted our own server, um, we switched to that. So one of the things that uh, has done a, a great job of evangelizing the platform has been YUI Theater. So how did that come about? Oh, um, so that came about uh, really because we have uh, Eric Moralia um, as being, um, you know, really incredibly talented at putting all this stuff together, presenting it, 
doing the videos themselves. And, um, and then also just because we have so many great resources here, people like Douglas Crawford um, and Nicholas Zakis uh, speaking often on, on uh, you know, giving high-quality presentations and teaching high-quality classes. Um, and Eric's in there filming them, so we just have all this great content. And so it's just grown and, and I grown. I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with just the, just, just the notion of promoting front-end development as a professional, um, you know, professional engineering skill. Uh, so you know, the theater is part of it. Training is another part of it. Um, best practices, principles are another part of it. So I, th- I think it goes all hand-in-hand hand and... Yahoo does a good job at that in general. So what's it like working with, with Douglas Crockford? Have either of you had a get commit smackdown by, <laughs> no by <comment>. Douglas? <laughs> uh, you know, Douglas is, um, is, you know, he has a reputation out there for uh, uh, laying down smackdowns, again, especially for people who are complaining about uh, J.S. Lint hurting their feelings, but um, but he uh, but he's a, he's a very thorough and considerate uh, evaluator of uh, of of some of our code and projects and everything, and it's nice to have him around helping us out. Adam and I had the opportunity to meet Douglas last year at Texas JS, and found him just to be a really nice guy, not uh, what I expected from <laughs> the uh, yeah, yeah. the severity of J.S. Lint <laughs> on my code. <laughs> So one of the uh, titles that intrigued me on YUI recently was uh, YUI and, and Node.js. Either of you guys uh, played around with that setup? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I, I gave a little uh, presentation at last year's um, uh, JSConf in, uh, in Washington um, in the early, um, the early going of getting that stuff to work. Uh, Dave Glass has done... Um, a lot since then, uh, getting our, our full infrastructure up and running underneath uh, Node.js, and and there's a lot of um, um, it's, we're still actively developing. We're we're um, using this as a platform for um, doing some new and fun things. That um, this year is going to be one of our focus. You know, Node is extremely hot right now, but I think people are still. It reminds me of what. Uh, the Ruby stack looked like two or three years ago where people are trying to figure out what the the stack looks like and the uh, the components around it. Um, to the extent that you can share, what other technologies are you looking at as far as front-end proxies and other things for, for Node? Uh, so in general, I think um, if you look at the library as a whole, and in particular YUI3, you know, there's a bottommost layer which involves the, the DOM normalization and the DOM event normalization. And once you move above that, Everything we have in terms of utilities um, and even component development frameworks like, you know, the custom event framework, for example, um, and the attribute infrastructure, attribute base and plugins, all of that stuff is generically useful for any kind of development. You know, so whether it's developing apps in the, on the client in the browser or whether it's developing apps on the server side of things. So I think the, the way we look at it is that we write generic useful components which which may which can be used on either side of the fence on the server side or the client side, and I think the real value which kind of Node.js adds to the picture is now you have the option of deploying and running that code, writing it once and then deploying and running it on either side of the fence. You know, based on bandwidth and latency and things like that, so you can have your server do more stuff 
for less capable clients or clients which are coming over kind of uh, low bandwidth, uh, high latency connections, or you can move all that same code down to the client. So I think that's really appealing to us. And if you look at everything on top of the kind of base normalization layer, all of that can, stuff can be used on the server for the most part. You know, even the widget infrastructure, for example, you can take a widget, render it on the server, so you get your progressively enhanced markup solution and um, deploy that to the client and then add uh, interaction uh, capabilities on, on clients which support them. So it, it's just exciting to be able to develop one solution which works on both sides of the fence. This weekend I noticed a, a thread on the Node.js mailing list that uh, the title was I Can't Code Like This, and it was basically a, a rant against the complexities that arise from the, the asynchronous mm. setup of, of Node.js. Do you think that that kind of Russian doll uh, coding style will evolve the language to include other constructs to deal with that sort of complexity? Yeah, I think so. I think um, there's there's certainly, uh, you know, if you look in the, the modules, uh, additional modules section of, uh, of the Node.js website, you'll see maybe 20 different utilities dealing with, um, you know, parallel processing of all these asynchronous actions because, because everybody's having a hard time with that. And um, I think that you'll see, you'll see a lot of that, a lot of people um, are needing to rely on that sort of thing to get their program to work. Of course, if you, in, in some of those cases, using that stuff kills some of the performance benefits of, of, the, of the event loop, but um, ultimately there's some pieces of code that uh, you just can't do right without, without some kind of mechanism to help uh, uh, straighten that out for you. We're going to have. We're actually going to have some um, some utilities for that. I think directly in YUI because we're going to be our sort of um, Node.js YUI framework um, will you know be using YUI um, to to handle some of these things uh, that will be uh, calling asynchronous Node.js calls. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, I think to a certain extent, when you're developing for the browser, you're kind of developing with an event loop. Um, mindset anyway. So, so a lot of the people who develop for the browser are somewhat already familiar with the notion of callbacks and your code not being called in line with you know um, the, the thing which initiates the action. So I think that helps too uh, in general. Um, Speaking of targeting certain, certain, I guess, platforms and browsers, I noticed in your commit logs you're um, actually working on mobile with this. So what is YUI doing in the mobile space? Um, I think the way... We think of mobile, um, I think that one of the recent talks I gave uh, is out on uh, YUI Theater right now, but the way we'd like to address it is not think of it as a separate development environment. So, you know, a lot of the, the problems or, or a lot of the challenges which the mobile space brings up, f um, addressing those challenges could help across the board, you know, regardless of whether it's um, a desktop environment you know, IE7 running on a crappy desktop, anything we can do to address kind of performance constraints, which the mobile environment adds to, to, to the picture, helps across the board. And then when you look at the feature side of things, um, things like touch uh, interaction, for example, there's no reason that you couldn't deploy uh, gesture-type support. You know, so if I'm looking at a carousel on a desktop, instead of clicking a previous and next button, it would be nice if I could flick my mouse to scroll through carousel items too. Um, and moving further, I mean, touch is just going to end up on the desktop at some point or other anyway. So e even in terms of features, it seems like we'd like to address the more 
in terms of analyzing the discrete features which we'd like to address, things like you know, offline um, caching, touch capabilities, uh, transition support, which leverages um, the hardware acceleration on certain devices. All of that stuff can be just as useful on the desktop as it is on you know, what, what people call mobile devices. Um, and with tablets, that line gets blurred anyway. So that's how we're addressing the whole mobile space, is uh, treating it more in terms of features and constraints and uh, applying solutions to specific features or specific constraints so they help across the board whether it's the server, the, the desktop, or, or a mobile device. I see specifically in, in the commit law that it's mentioning iOS. Is it something that you can actually run native, or is it something that, um, like, you're building native, native apps with this, or is it something behind the scenes that's rendering? Uh, no, it's all, it's all web-based application development. Um, um, it, it, the references to iOS probably refer to, um, you know, abstractions we needed to apply for a particular uh, environment, but it's all uh, web-based development. You know, JavaScript as a language is, is extremely flexible. Um, in other server-side and sometimes client-side languages, you know, um, as adoption grows, you get a, a common library that develops. And like in the Ruby world, it's Ruby gems that, you know, an ecosystem of pluggable code that I can drop in. For JavaScript, there seems to be, you know, a million different ways to do things. And we discuss things like the module pattern and, and how not to pollute the, the global namespace. Do you see JavaScript as a language ever maturing to a point where this is the way to do something, or is it going to be always you know, just a multifaceted, multi-flavored world to develop in? Well, I, I think that it's, you know, the, the flexibility is part of its charm. Um, and I think that we develop conventions and we're going to rely on tools like JSLint to, uh, uh, to help us avoid doing the wrong thing. Um, I don't really see it getting, I don't really see us getting, uh, Getting, uh, really getting a, you know, these two or three patterns that we use all the time. Although in a library like YUI three, it does sort of um, um, encourage you to code in a certain style. So I think that, uh, and you see that with uh, with you know jQueries and everything as well. That that uh, be- because uh, how the how the boilerplate for YUI. Um, sets up this module for you, this this uh, this uh, function scope for you to work in. That um, it 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 makes you program differently than if you were working directly in the um, in the global space, and gives you do things like being able to declare local variables without without uh, global pollution and that sort of thing. And so I think, uh, and then all of our documentation also. We have certain styles of doing everything, and that that translates into implementations outside of what we do to look a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, for, for my two cents, you know, I, I don't really have too many complaints about it in general. I mean, I, I used to develop in a Java world, and you know, a lot of Java developers now are trying to do the types of things you can do with JavaScript's flexibility. You know, like not be tied into a static class hierarchy, be able to mix and match, you know, sets of methods um, on the fly dynamically. Uh, that kind of thing. So I, I think the, the, the patterns and the idioms apply to any given language. You know, there's, there's a best practice of how to develop stuff in Java, and there's ways to work around kind of private method access in Java and that kind of thing. And I think the same thing applies to JavaScript. Now looking over the, um, the landing page for YUI 3, it uh, seems like there's a lot, of, a lot of different features that are here. How do you guys manage the feature set of the 
of it itself and then also how do you add more into it when when that time comes is it from like production code that you guys have developed or is this uh you know how do you even manage bringing in stuff from the open source world too well um i think uh one of the things that's happened the last year was the uh yui3 gallery and um the gallery is great because it gives anybody the opportunity to um to add their code in a uh, in an easy way to the YUI ecosystem, um, and the, have these components um, discoverable, and um, and even has it even lets you deploy this code um, uh, if you sign a uh, if you uh, sign a contributors agreement, uh, we will deploy the code on onto our CDN, and so you can you you get the benefit of having your code hosted on the Yahoo servers. Um, and all that's really and so one of the reasons we um, have it this way is I look at um, external features sort of debuting on the on the gallery and and as they mature um, and get the full set of documentation everything that we really would want it to be as uh, you know have in order to be part of the library examples and API docs and um, and all that. Uh, then, then it can actually be rolled into the library. So, when looking at the, when talking to developers, the guys who are listening to this podcast right now, and when you're looking for contributions from the open source community, what are some of the core things that uh, that you're looking for from the community itself? Um, th- that's a good uh, question in general. I think so. One thing we, we kicked off at the beginning of this year, so we just had an open hour session, for example, uh, this morning with the community um, to outline what we have in mind uh, based on, you know, input from the component developers themselves. You know, I, as the developer of Widget, for example, know what the demand set is for Widget in general based on, you know, external enhancement requests and bug requests and things like that. Uh, Based on that, we've kind of taken a first stab at our roadmap for, you know, Q1, Q2 plus the year based on what we think the inputs are. And we shared that this morning with the community, um, you know, it gets fuzzier as it gets into Q3, Q4 space. But even there, they can see, you know, what we're looking to aim for in Q3, Q4. And if they have something which is under development, you know, they can say, you know, I have something, you know, like Color Picker, for example, which I've already got worked out. You have it scheduled for Q4. I have one which is pretty much ready to go. If I'll put it in the gallery, and if you want to roll it in, you know, you can roll it in, that kind of thing. So I think just giving the community visibility into what we're thinking of developing next, seeing how much they want to help out with, and then using the gallery mechanism to feed that back into the library, um, I think is where we'd like to get. So when we chatted with uh, Douglas Crockford uh, last summer, um, one of the things that we talked about was the importance of having heroes in for programmers, right? It seems like as a profession, we um, rarely know folks in our field over 40, right? Um, I'm going to put you on the spot for a moment and who are your programming heroes and who, who do you think paved the way for you to do this as a living? Uh, you know, uh, I have to say that, you know, programming, I started when I was, uh, when I was very young and I, and you know, it all, for me, it's going to sound kind of geeky is cause I like to play computer games and I think I like to, um, program computer games first before anything else. So, um, so the people that did uh, the old text-based games like um, like Adventure and uh, and and then um, Hunt, 
the Hunt the Wumpus game, whatever it's called, <laughs> all those. <laughs> those those guys probably paved the way for me. Um, so for me, I, I don't necessarily know if I have um, heroes in terms of individuals as such. Uh, I, I think way in the beginning, uh, the reason I got into programming was pretty much along the lines of what Adam mentioned. I like games and I like uh, programming games or parts of games. Um, and I think, to me, just the focus on games originally, um, and if I had a second chance, I'd probably focus on that aspect of it again, or the 3D rendering part of things. Uh, but the reason I chose kind of UI um, or, or user interaction-based uh, programming was just, it was, it was the ideal combination of kind of my, my need for some visual feedback with the logical analytical aspect of programming, I think. Um, it provided the ideal mix. And then in, in terms of the, the JS world in particular, I think you've said the name enough times, but Douglas Crockford was kind of the first uh, guy whose material I read, which made me think about kind of JavaScript as a, as a mature language. Um, and I think that's probably true for, for most people. And then aside from that, I think the people I work with, a um, bunch of really smart people. So when you look at the open source landscape right now, we talked about Node, and you guys got you guys kind of got a little bit excited when we talked about Node for a second there, and how it uh, reflected onto YUI. But beyond, uh, and you can say Node if that's the case, but beyond YUI, what else in open source is is out there and is something you want to play with? Uh, um, I'm 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 a bad person to ask that. I'm kind of heads heads down on what I'm working with right now, so I don't really have a good answer for you there. I can't say I have either. I feel kind of bad about that, but there's so much in that I just have to focus on in my little world here that I that I haven't gotten a lot of chance to play with a lot of new fun toys. We'll put a different spin on that then. Bash, Z-Shell, Other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Bash... I would use Z-Shell if I felt like uh, uh, customizing things to my heart's content. I kind of like just opening the, the MacBook now and, and having everything work, so bash. I, I used to work on a Windows box until a couple of years ago, so I, I won't even comment. <laughs> All right, so Vim, TextMate, or Notepad? Vim. I, I'm an Eclipse user. JSON or XML? JSON. <laughs> JSON. CSS or SAS? Good God. <laughs> I, I have a newfound appreciation for CSS after I tried to do some Java-based UI development, and I, I ended up working with Swing and SWT. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate you joining us today and taking the time. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. It was a pleasure.